Jessica Brown, commissioning editor and reporter for Navarra Media. And I have a question. Why do we on the left find it so easy to defend, but so hard to talk about sex work? I think there are two reasons. The first is obvious. We find it hard to talk about sex full stop. The second is more subtle. It's that the narrative that sex work is suffering, fed not only by the right, but also by the left, particularly during the feminist sex wars of the 1970s and 80s, continues to have a hold on us. There are a couple of contemporary contexts that have reinforced this narrative. One is the renewed centrality the Me Too movement has given to sexual assault. The other is the heightened awareness of human trafficking created by the refugee crisis. Together, these contexts have quietly strengthened the association between sex work and sexual oppression. We find ourselves defending sex workers without wanting to defend sex work, a position not dissimilar to the one taken by the sex-negative feminists of the second wave. Or we find ourselves taking unthinkingly celebratory positions, claiming that sex work is inherently feminist or anti-capitalist, something that few sex workers would claim themselves. Which is to say that absent from a lot of leftist discussions of sex work are sex workers. Of course, they're not actually absent, just invisible. Sex workers are your friends, your family, your teachers, your students, your colleagues, your comrades. It's just that few of them are open about the work they do. When it comes to developing a radical politic of sex work, this invisibility makes it really difficult to adhere to the principles set out by disability activists, but applicable to all marginalised groups. Nothing about us without us. So for this episode of Navara FM, we decided to do something at once out of the ordinary and unremarkable, to have a discussion with sex workers about sex work. I learned a lot of things during the conversation, You'll hear me getting gently schooled on more than one occasion. But the main thing was that while obviously sex work is an industry unto itself, the distinction between sex work and other work, between paid and unpaid sex, is often overstated. What all the sex workers I spoke to were keen to impress on me was that a lot of quote-unquote regular work involves the manipulation of sexual desire, and a lot of unpaid sex involves work. This isn't to say we are all sex workers although would that be such a bad thing, but rather that sex work is simply an extension of and capitalization on a lot of the same oppressive dynamics to which most of us submit for free. I also learned that working in a criminalized industry creates a camaraderie you cannot imagine. Two of the three women I interviewed had never met before, but there was instantly an intimacy between them. It made me realise that the kinds of protections most of us are afforded by the law or our class position, sex workers have to create through community. It's obviously not the way things should be, but then a lot of the sex workers I've spoken to say the main reason they've stayed in the industry are the people. I hope you can feel that warmth in your ears and that you enjoy being in this space as much as I did. You'll be pleased to hear we have a lot more sex content, not porn sadly, just sex content, lined up for you. This episode of Navara FM is part of Doing It Right, Sex on the Left, a multimedia exploration of the pains and pleasures of sex and whether it's possible to resolve them. Check out the rest of the series where we ask why bisexuals are being left behind in the sexual revolution, why eco-fascists are pushing the pill, and as ever, what the hell is going on with Gen Z at navara.media forward slash sex.
So I think I just wanted to start by asking you each to maybe introduce yourselves, um, telling us your name, the kind of work that you do, um, maybe how you became a sex worker or how long you've been doing sex work, and maybe also how you know each other. Well, I'm Bella. Uh, I'm coming up five years in the sex industry. I got into sex work because my ex-girlfriend was a sex worker and uh, she kind of showed me the ropes. Um, when we split up, I didn't have any community, so I kind of um, was very grateful to start engaging with some of the organisations that are out there, like Swarm, and went to something called Hooker Breakfasts and met a few people, um, and eventually met April through a writing workshop that she was running um, as part of her um, arts and community organisation, Sexquisite. Um, and yeah, I do full service sex work. So I um, generally have sex with my clients. I have, again, through April, tried a little bit of stripping. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think my comfort zone is definitely with the physical in contact stuff. Cool. I mean, just briefly, has that changed at all during the pandemic, your work? Have you been doing other kinds of work, sex work, um, because of the pandemic? A little bit. Um, I tried to kind of hone in some more um, solid regulars, um, but for various reasons, I didn't feel comfortable doing um, online work. Um, so I kind of had to make it work with what I was doing already and just be as safe as I possibly could. Because um, I, I went on universal credit, um, but obviously that doesn't really cover uh, rent even. So I definitely had to retain a few clients and do my best to sort of have my needs met whilst also not um, getting sick. Yeah, okay. Thanks. That's a really good intro. Um, so maybe it makes sense to come yeah, to you next, April, fine. given that you know Bella. Yes, um, I'm April. I co-run Sexquisite Events and Cyber Tees, that are two sex worker-led organisations, Um I started stripping at university quite a long time ago because um, I needed money, obviously, and then did a variety of different jobs um, and then started performing like stand-up comedy and burlesque and things like that um, and came back to sex work here and there. But actually, during lockdown, started doing sex work again because everything was closed um, and that's when I set up Cybertees with some other sex workers. And yeah, I started doing online work during lockdown and then started doing escorting, which I'd never done before um, because, yeah, like lack of money and needed to do that. So I didn't really like think that that was for me. But then as soon as I did these things, I realized that they... <laughs> that the boundaries that I'd put in place for myself were arbitrary and were mostly influenced by what society thinks of sex workers rather than what I, I actually care about doing. Mm, that's really interesting. Maybe we can come back to that. Just quickly, can you tell me a bit about what Cybertees is? You, you oh, Cybertees is a virtual strip club that we set up because all the strip clubs were closed. So we started doing events on Zoom, but we're going to start doing real life events now that things are open. And, um, it won't be called Cybertees, surely. It's called like, it, like Cybertees Presents. Or like um, we perform with Queer House Party quite a lot, who are like these um, 
quite well-known queer DJ collective. And then um, Sexquisite is um, a company we run cowboy events where all the performers are sex workers. And we're also creating a theatre show at the moment. And we also do workshops for sex workers and allies. And yeah, just lots of artsy things for the community and for allies as well. But mostly for sex workers because we... Oh, great. <laughs> cool. Thanks for telling us about those. We'll list them in the in the show notes. Um, Anna, do you want to introduce yourself? So my name is Anna. I started sex work only last year. Um, I did full service sex work from the beginning. I started it um, completely on my own. I didn't know anyone um, and Googled my way into it. And um, I knew Sexquisite before um, as a social media addicted feminist. Um, I had come across it, but I had never dreamed of ever meeting Sexquisite creators and um, <laughs> contributors in person. Um, so yeah, sex work makes you meet fantastic people, but not in the way you think I mean it. Um, <laughs> Then um, I was really lucky that um, another sex worker contacted me once to ask for a reference about a client I had seen who wanted to see her and who was refusing to do some kind of regular security check she was running. I think the client was refusing to give her his last name or something like that. Um, so she ref uh, uh, contacted me to ask for a reference and that way we got talking and that way she opened to me the door to all of these sex worker solidarity things that I had no idea of. And um, this way I also got introduced to the Queer Hole Collective, um, which has been a really helpful, great resource and inspiration. My my first question was about this term, the hierarchy, um, And we've talked about lots of different types of sex work just now could one of you maybe explain what this term means and maybe why it exists i can do that because uh, i can plug our zine in the in <laughs> okay. the same process <laughs> okay. um yeah it's it's something that we kind of use in the community quite a lot um just to ref reflect on the fact that there's different types of sex work and they kind of get valued differently mm -hmm. um and are seen as kind of more or less respectable um by kind of civs or civilians um but yeah it's essentially a class system for sex workers and you tend to have street workers at the bottom of that um and then you have people like cam girls or online content creators at the top and i think the general rule seems to be that um the people who spend the least amount of time and have the least physical proximity and the, the least sexual contact with clients um, uh, rate, rise higher in the hierarchy. Um, and uh, also the people who have the most financial return on the time that they do allocate to clients, they also are considered higher up in the hierarchy. So strippers, for example, would come above full service sex workers because um, it's considered by many more of an art form you know it's like the art of the tease and having these skills like dancing allows um some distance I suppose from what people might consider like the common prostitute who in the eyes of many just spreads her legs and 
doesn't do anything. Right. But um, obviously it's a flawed system um, and doesn't reflect the skills and expertise it takes to do something like full, sex, full service sex work. Mm-hmm. I was wondering whether you think that that hierarchy is kind of reinforced by the left that attempts to kind of... Um, uh, you know, attribute value to sex work and sort of says, actually, like, sex work is great, but maybe emphasizes particular kinds of work. Like, look, people do camming or OnlyFans or, mm. you know, um, highlight types of work which are higher up in the hierarchy. I, I don't think that's the problem okay. with the left, if that makes sense. Like, I think the people on the left who have a problem with sex work seem to have a problem with all sex work, like, and would will criticize people doing OnlyFans just as well as people doing escorting. I do think... The people who tend to be more like open-minded leftists are like less subscribed to the hierarchy because they might understand that like, in my experience anyway, it's not differentiated like that. Like if you're you're a stripper, you're still selling your body. That's disgusting. We still want to shut down the strip clubs. It's not like, oh, we want to. Um, keep the strip clubs open but we don't want you to escort it's like they people who are against it usually against all of it Mm. but it sounds like that the mentality infiltrates sex work itself and you said like you yourself maybe drew a distinction between some kind of work that you would do and some that you wouldn't and that sounds maybe itself a symptom of the hierarchy and that like this idea that the closer you are to the act of having sex with a client the kind of more like unpleasant it is and so like your you yourself like were maybe like drawing a boundary but i think that's like um all of society yeah so like people who are like not that bothered about sex work or like maybe they think it's okay, but they wouldn't do it themselves. Like even those sorts of people is like where you get influenced for the hierarchy and sex work. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Rather yeah. than the people who are full on against it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you think you picked up that idea that there was some kind of sex work that you wouldn't do? Like what? why do you think you drew the distinction where you did? Do you want to say something? I think personally, um, the depictions you see in the media. Yeah. Because you have an idea in your head that you need to be Billy Piper in Diary of a Cool Girl in order to be... Uh, a kind of acceptable glamorous version of a sex worker who could then maybe write a memoir about it and it was all fine because it was a very um wild adventurous time of your life when actually I've internalized the hierarchy quite often personally um for example when I've been at my most in need um of money and other resources I've slashed my rates down and I felt shame about offering a service and charging less for it um, as if that somehow devalues me when actually it doesn't. It's just a sign that I, in that point of time, needed money and that was the most resourceful, logical way to access it. And I think the hierarchy is a sort of judgment-based kind of... um, shame-based system that is also has its roots in like puritanism and how you know um the the cleaner in scare quotes you are um and the less you kind of lower yourself to to uh, have contact with clients and for how much you do do that kind of thing um the more sort of human you're allowed to be Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah go ahead I think that the hierarchy is 
the commercialized version of slut shaming. Like, mm. even if people have a lot of sex but don't earn any money with it, the more sex they have, the worse they're being looked at by society. Probably not the more sex they have, but the more sex, the more the higher number of different people they have, the more sexual partners they have. Mm. Mm. And I think when money is involved, this gets even more problemat problematic. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of like explaining it. And it sort of shows how like the logic of the hierarchy isn't exclusive to sex work. It's like the same logic that we have towards all like, you know, people and yeah. the amount of sex they have. The idea of a body count um, and, you know, the whole fetishistic interest in someone's virginity and purity culture in general and how it has its roots in patriarchy and colonialism. Um, I think that's what is at play in the hierarchy. I've been wondering about this idea of, on the one hand, there's clearly a difference between sex work and other kinds of work, and that's why it's stigmatized, and that's why it's criminalized, and that's why, you know, it's um, treated in this kind of way, and why there have to be kind of networks of solidarity between sex workers, because it's, it's a marginalized kind of profession. But at the same time, I sort of wonder whether this kind of treatment of sex work as a particular kind of work obscures the way in which sex in various ways like permeates lots of kinds of work and how lots of us are like using and leveraging our sexuality in our work in ways that we don't always like like to accept like I was thinking the other day about how you know well like the obvious one is like pop stars people always talk about pop stars and how they're very sexualized I mean it's true and they are selling sex and they're using their sexuality to sell records but you could also like flirt with someone that you work with in order to get them to do something for you you can always like people do this all the time I mean I don't obviously <laughs> why mean, not <laughs> why not no of course I do <laughs> of course I do flirt with people all the time I love it but I'm but I'm I'm saying that like we um, um, we distinguish between sex work and, you know, the sex that um, we participate in in subtle ways in lots of work. And I, I wonder whether you guys see that or whether you think, no, like sex work is different. No, it's, it's ridiculous because you can use sex to sell anything apart from actual sex. Like, yeah, you're right. They, you know, it's used to sell like movies, TV shows, like... Shower gel. Exactly, shower gel. But like... You know, there were there were adverts for vibrators that have been banned because oh, it deals with sexual female pleasure. Like, I do think it's yeah, like some of it is the male gaze, and then some of it is people's like discomfort at sex, mm -hmm. and like the idea that people I don't know why people find it so uncomfortable that that you would have sex for money when like there are other things that people do for money that are way worse, like mm -hmm. waitressing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but that like a lot of those professions, including waitressing, often involve like using your sexuality yeah. in your work. Yeah. Um, and that that's like a, a implicit part of someone's job is to be sexy. You know how like flight attendants have to like yeah. wear, wear they have sexy like a uniforms. full on dress code. Yeah. It's it's like, yeah. But no one wants to save flight attendants, do they? <laughs> no. But like, do you do you think that like, there's some benefit in that in trying to draw attention to the sex that's kind of inherent in a lot of work or is that like not really a winning argument for like sex activism sex work activism i would like to draw attention to some to 
the other the phenomenon the other way around. I would like to draw attention to all the work that's included in regular sex. Are we going to talk about this or should we talk about this now? Yeah, let's talk about this. I was also going to ask about this. Do you mean like that it's not just sex that's involved in sex work or not just... No, I mean... Um, that, that sex itself, non-work sex is is work. Or, yeah, yeah, I think this, especially um, in heteronormative structures and especially straight sex, when straight women are having it, is a lot of work. And that is often think not really discussable because it's the work you do out of love or out of um, convention um, or social expectations. Um, I mean, if we compare how often straight women come in sexual encounters with straight men compared to how often their male partners come, I think a picture emerges that shows us that straight women put a lot of work into this mm-hmm. that is um, not returned. Not remunerated. So, I mean, are you implying that maybe part of why you became a sex worker was out of the recognition that you were doing a lot of unpaid work? I think so. And that I was really good at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, this is this is also the story that I've heard from other sex workers. They were sort of like... Yeah, sex work is difficult, but so is sex. Like, you know, do you sort of feel like that, you know, you see that the sex that you do for money in a completely different category as the sex that you do not for money? I mean, obviously there there is there, there are probably distinctions that you draw, but maybe there's also some convergence and that's fine. Well, it's actually, I find it a really um, useful a barometer. So um, having now sold sex for, for a long time, um, I now know what I'm like if I'm in work mode. And previously um, around people, I wouldn't necessarily have been able to recognize the signs that I was performing um, and people pleasing or falling into uh, things that I didn't necessarily enjoy just in order to facilitate someone else's pleasure and enjoyment as I was conditioned to do um, as a woman. And now I have this ability to be like, "Mm, this feels like work, but I'm not at work. So I'm going to remove myself from this situation. Um, And for me personally, it's taught me a lot about what I don't like and what I do like and also where my boundaries are. Because having the clarity of a transaction where you're like, I do this, I don't do this. This is how long you've got. And this is when it ends. Um, helps you practice asserting yourself in a way that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do otherwise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, what about you, April? Do you kind of feel like the... Because you, your work, it also sounds like is, you know, you're putting on events and you're doing... Um, also, you're doing stripping, which is maybe different to having sex with someone. And um, so I don't know whether you see your work as kind of very separate to sex in your personal life or just like sex per se. Um, I think that over the last few years, I've realized that I prefer sex with myself and it just so happens that, how can I put this? I mean, like my boyfriend has a really high sex drive, which is sometimes inconvenient because I'm not always up for it. And, um, yeah, 
I've got this joke where I'm like, oh, because um, he's an actor. And I just, I say like, um, I really wish people would understand that like sex work is just work because I'll get home from work and then my boyfriend will want to have sex with me. But like when he gets home from work, I don't ask him to recite some Shakespeare. Mm. Um, but like, yeah, I think I used to like do a lot of sex for men, like to satisfy men. But now if they want to be satisfied, I do expect to be paid for it. Um, so yeah, my boyfriend doesn't get as much sex as he probably would have done if we'd been together when I was younger. But maybe that's good for you. Maybe that's <laughs> fine for me. Yeah, it's not maybe. great for him. I'm trying to outsource. Um, <laughs> I heard they're great service providers. Yeah, I mean, I might, I, you know, I could probably. I don't know if it's weird for me to pay one of my friends to have sex with my boyfriend or not. I've Would decided. He? Oh yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, I just don't know if that's weird or not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's like it's a win-win you're you get your friends paid <laughs> you get a happy boyfriend um yeah I also was was wondering about this question of like the kind of work that is involved in sex work so not just that other forms of work involve sex but that sex involves other forms of work than sex and I sort of wonder whether like maybe that speaks to your experience of um of, of sex work whether it's you know in, involves other things that you might not consider part of it like care or like emotional labor or in your case I guess like performance and acting although obviously that's not exclusive to you but I, I'm just interested in your experience of sex work as not just being sex well yeah because like most of it is like a lot of it's admin yeah like there's the admin is getting dressed up there's like shaving your legs and all that shit it's like a whole thing like I find the admin the most difficult actually and then, yeah, obviously, like, the interaction when you hang out with a client and then, yeah, they might want, like, cuddles afterwards or to talk about their lives or all that shit. So it's like, a, it's like a whole experience being a sex worker. It's not just having sex. Yeah, you have to have a relationship with someone and you have to convince someone that you're their, like, you know, partner for that moment or that evening or whatever. And for a lot of men, I think they would feel less embarrassed to see a sex worker than they would a therapist and so you end up being the receptacle for a lot of their emotional turmoil mm -hmm. and having to kind of uh, moonlight as a therapist involuntarily without the qualifications or, or the supervision <laughs> um, and no one to refer to like there's no safeguarding board if you think you've got a client who might be really struggling and um, potentially suicidal there's not it's not like you can really get someone in to help with that because you might not even know their full name so I think we carry a lot of that burden um I find my easiest clients are the ones who want to fuck and just they're like right so suck my nipples do this do this do this and then that's my fantasy complete I love that personally because it's so straightforward mm. whereas I find the heavier stuff um I'll come away feeling sometimes even guilty that I've taken money from someone who's so desperately lonely. Um, which really? <laughs> <laughs> a, a little bit. Sometimes if I think that they might have a problem and they're filling the void. Oh, all men have problems and they're all filling the void <laughs> and they'll never be able to fill it. <laughs> like an addiction, I, I suppose. Sometimes I feel a little bit um, sad. I, I suppose like, obviously I take the money because I need the money. But um, 
there's something about how desperate they are that stays with you sometimes mm. I think mm -hmm. I also do feel sorry for them sometimes but yeah and then you remember they're fine they can pay for a luxury <laughs> item you know and they, they're making it your problem when and they're kind of trained to believe that it is someone else's problem when they have these things but you fall into their trap because you kind of absorb their whole universe for about an hour and a half or however long you spend with them mm. and it does get in your head a bit and I don't know whether this emotional labor that you're talking about, um, how much this uh, is actually um, a very hard part of the work for me. I would agree that the admin beforehand, as in like scheduling, but then also the safety and background checking things, the this is hard work. And um, then this emotional labor of being the, the therapist, pissed it isn't easy but I must say I think with with practice that got easier luckily or I've, I find it almost interesting mm. I must say but maybe I've also been lucky I've never had suicidal clients or obviously suicidal ones mm. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I wonder wh whether your clients like know that they're having that kind of emotional they're making that kind of emotional appeal to you and they're slightly manipulating that as well like they're sort of like I'm a sad man like therefore you shouldn't be charging me so much or therefore you should see me for free or I don't know 100% and actually it's interesting that um Uh, April's reaction to me saying, um, oh, don't you sometimes feel a bit sorry for them is is totally our dynamic in that uh, going, I think with experience in strip clubs, you do learn to be a bit more cutthroat with it um, because there is an element of manipulation. I, I went with a client to a strip club um, and he told me, oh, the point of going to a strip club is to feel powerful because they need your money and you sit there and you talk to them and you know that they really want a private dance with you and you feel like you've got this leverage over them. And I was like, well, that's just kind of gross that mm -hmm. you're saying this. But um, it, it was an insight into the mentality. And, and I guess as a stripper, you learn to be like, take that power back and not fall for the tricks yeah yeah I, yeah I guess like with stripping you meet a lot of potential clients but they don't always become clients because they don't necessarily get a dance and like obviously with like for service and stuff you get queries from people who are time wasters but they're kind of more invisible because you don't usually meet them does that make sense mm -hmm. so like in stripping in person you meet a lot of guys who want to waste your time and want to pretend they're going to go for a dance and then they don't and that's quite annoying and exhausting and then like sometimes like you turn it into a challenge and then you like get them to go for a dance and then you get their money and that's great um but yeah so maybe that's why I have less patience I don't know mm. I wonder also about the experience of working in uh, with a group of sex workers, you know, because obviously like I know people do duos and group stuff, but it's, um, I mean, I don't know, maybe less um, common because it's, it's, it's elite, it's criminalized, but like as a stripper, you are working with other workers and in, in a more kind of like uh, legalized sort of framework. And I just wonder about the experience of that because obviously like so you know the UK does 
legalize certain forms of sex work and 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 whether there's something different about working in that environment both in terms of like the kind of having colleagues we can talk about that in a minute i'd yeah. really like to know about no, the experience of it's really nice and, like having people to work with but some strip clubs can be really bitchy and because like our, the society we live in likes to pit women against each other there's this like idea that you're you're each other's competition and some women do subscribe to that but actually if you work together then it's a better environment and you can all make money it's like there's enough for everyone so like it is nice sometimes and like when I've like made really good friends with like the other workers and stuff that's been really good mm. it's like mm. it's cool to like have people to hang out with and like then you like go do double dances together and yeah. stuff do you feel like you learn though about kind of I don't know that it, it kind of politicizes you somehow by kind of like making you understand like the industry that you're working in and the kind of you know the power dynamics a bit better because you kind of can talk to your work your colleagues about stuff like you know there and then rather than having to seek out forums and breakfast clubs and like all this stuff like yeah I think I might be wrong but I think the sex worker union kind of like it started in strip clubs because it was a group of workers at a place that needed help and needed to like deal with the management not being great to them so because it, it now it's called united sex workers not united strippers so uh, and obviously can help other forms of sex workers but it's because it's a union the main place that it it's useful for is a strip club because a strip club is legal and yeah there's like a lot of you there who and there's power in numbers I think what's happened now is like you know there's all these whatsapp groups and we talk to each other a lot more mm -hmm. so I think like even when I first started stripping back in the day there weren't these whatsapp groups and these like activism and these like sex worker breakfasts and things like it's I think social media has like made sex workers come together a lot more as well mm -hmm. while also trying to shadow ban us off every platform <laughs> yeah I mean that must have been your experience Anna because you said you started um, sex work like a year ago during the pandemic I guess so yeah so you must have only really had that access virtually yeah um and the few moments i've had of collaborating and working together with other sex workers were actually really empowering and i've learned a lot about my own rights and about my position and what is reasonable to demand and i can say a hundred percent that letting sex workers work together in one household, which is criminalized as a brothel, letting them work together would be empowering. Yeah, because you already work together, just not in a physical space. Like, well, sometimes you do, but um, you know, you're you're collaborating in all sorts of ways. You talked about vetting people for others, and you know, collaboration is like it sounds like an essential part of sex work. You can't be safe as a sex worker unless you have friends. Like, you know, I was talking about my you know, um, a sex worker that I know and, um, you know, she, she takes money transfers and checks in on people. It's like so intimate, the kind of collaboration you're in each other's bank accounts. It's <laughs> yeah. The person who um, I co-founded the Queer Whore Collective with, we met on a paid booking. It was a foursome. And I've met most of my closest sex worker friends through work. And it's a really funny um, experience where you meet within about five minutes you're having sex um 
stealing little glances where you can, a lot of like wink or eye roll when, when the client's busy, you know, elsewhere. Um, and afterwards, there's usually um, a moment where you're sort of decompressing together. And um, there's a lot of like seeking reassurance, I find, um, afterwards, you know, like, oh, do you think that went all right? Um, and it's just cathartic to be able to process a booking um, with someone else and get a read on what they thought of the client and um, like if one of you's on your period and you've had a sponge up there like to stop the blood coming out then you can have someone to help get it out because it's usually stuffed up so high that it's almost impossible to get out for a while so it's just all these really intensely intimate acts that it would take ages to do with your friends that you meet in other walks of life but with sex workers you do it immediately mm. and that's such a bonding experience that it kind of makes sense like for one thing to lead to another and you actually become friends you know mm, that's really that's quite beautiful um you talked about processing stuff and I was just thinking about how earlier you said um you feel like a bit of a therapist sometimes um and I wonder whether you any of you have had the experience of trying to talk to like therapists or professionals about your work like I'm in therapy and sometimes I'm worried about what my therapist thinks of certain parts of my life and I don't know do you feel like most therapists are sex kind of like sex work positive or would you be wary of like you know picking any old therapist for fear that they might be a bit swarthy yeah I actually wrote about this in the how to talk to sex workers guide because I'm really lucky I've got a therapist who's very open-minded and I randomly had her from the NHS and then um, now I have her private. But I know quite a lot of sex workers who've had really bad experiences with therapists and them saying weird things to them about being se doing sex work, like outing other workers to them. And also like even before they've got to the sex work disclosure part, being so judgmental about other parts of their lives or saying weird things that made them feel they couldn't comfortably talk to them that then how are you going to talk to that therapist about sex work if they're already judging you for other stuff? So for a group of people who are supposed to be super open-minded and supportive, there are a lot of people who are not, but then there are some great therapists out there who are. It's just lucky whether you find one or not. There mm. is like a, li a list, I can't remember what it's called, but there's a list of like sex worker-friendly therapists somewhere if yeah. people are looking for it. I think the NHS um, training, from what I gather, um, would pathologize sex work and therefore a lot of NHS therapists have been trained with an understanding of sex work as a pathology of mental health or mental illness or trauma um, and I don't think obviously that it's fair to say that every you know person who's experienced sexual trauma um, would you know lots of people I, I think it's actually just more common that um uh, people have sexual trauma in general rather than sex, sex workers. workers. It's just that a lot of sex workers happen to be women and a lot of women have to have sexual trauma. It's it's not really any more complex than that, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and and so yeah, a lot of and a lot of um a lot of therapists have trauma, which is why they've got into therapy. Like they want to give back to their community and no one pathologizes therapists and says like, oh, what happened to you that put you into this profession? You know, whereas yeah. actually you kind of, that makes just as sense as just as much sense as saying that to a sex worker. So yeah, I think sex work is 
again, asking for money for something women are supposed to do for free. And this is also why I think therapy is a tiny bit stigmatized still. Um, because, I don't know, you're supposed to just talk to your friends or your wife about why you feel shit. Um, and they're supposed to just absorb all of that for free. Um, but about sex work-friendly therapists, I've um, met a very cool therapist who is working as a stripper as well, or is a former stripper, I'm not entirely sure. But I think there is a response from the sex worker community to provide sex work-friendly therapy, which shows, I think, that um, therapy so far has not been providing an adequate answer. And I've heard a lot of terrible stories, as um, as you said before, April, from um, sex workers uh, who had weird experiences with their therapists. In my experience, I think trying to talk to anyone about my work who isn't a sex worker is that they are just terribly, terribly worried, um, which I understand because all they know about sex work from society is that it's uh, really dangerous and it is dangerous. But then this worry puts up a wall between me and my counterpart that makes it impossible to talk about all the other things that happen mm. and all the funny things and the weird things and other things I might be worried about that are not the classical five big dangers that my friends and my therapist are worried about. Mm. This actually links to another question which I was kind of talking to you guys about a bit earlier, which is this idea of like wanting to complain about sex work to people, to therapists, to friends, but being afraid to reinforce negative stereotypes about sex work. So wanting to be like, oh my God, I had the most shit client, but then being worried that your friend's going to be like, oh my God, did he assault you? Or did he was he dangerous? And just being like, no, 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 he was just an idiot, <laughs> you know? Or it's more that if the fact that they would probably say, oh, then why do you do that then? Or why don't you stop doing that? Whereas like in another job, you might have a really bad experience but you wouldn't be like, oh, well, why don't you give up being a doctor? Why don't you stop doing admin? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's there's the, like, responsibility that is put on us for the way that people treat us, which is completely wrong. Yeah. And, like, just existing in, a in the world as a woman is dangerous. Like, sex work is not inherently dangerous. Like, the way people treat sex workers is dangerous. And like, when your friends are like, oh, are you, are you safe? Like, you never used to ask me that when I was having one night stands all the time. But like, now I'm doing it for money. Like, you want to ask me if I'm safe? It's like, I don't know. And so do you find... I'm sure it comes from a good place sometimes. But yeah. it's just the way that sex workers are portrayed in the media is just so, like, extreme. It's either like, oh, poor victims or like, promiscuous, like crazy sluts like do you know what I mean it's like there's no in between or there's no like oh we're actually just normal women and you have no idea how many sex workers you've met or you sat next to on the bus or have served you in a coffee shop or actually might be working at your law firm or might have operated on you because they're like literally sex workers are in every walk of life yeah I just wanted to say about like being concerned about your safety um I also think I get a lot more, are you safe, um, when I take money for my um, for the sex I have rather than 
when I didn't ask for money for random sex with strangers. And I, mean, I think it does make a difference that people feel entitled when they've paid for your time. Mm. But in my personal experience, that has not been the case that much, that money makes men more entitled than they already are. Yeah, most of them already yeah. entitled. It's just, <laughs> I mean, this is this is something that we were talking about a bit earlier as well, which is like this idea of sex work clients being somehow like a. It, it feeds also this idea of like sex work clients are a particular kind of guy when actually like no. just like they're all random regular guys. Yeah. Yeah, again, like, it's just kind of the same with sex workers. Clients are, like, sitting next to you on the bus and going to work and they, they work in your office and, like, you're not going to be... You wouldn't not give, like, a client a job because they he sees sex workers. But, like, if you went to, like, a really, I don't know, like, big finance company or something and you said that you were a sex worker, they might not give you a job because of it. But it's crazy mm. how, like, it's okay to be on the other side, but... yeah. But in, in your experience, have sex work clients been kind of particularly different or, you know, generally different to men that you meet in your personal life? I don't know. They're just it's- sadder and lonelier. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, they, they, they literally could be anyone. And one of the curses of being a sex worker is that you, uh, well, at least for me, I can't help but imagine all of your like male friends and family members as clients like because you realize that they are family members and friends they are just normal people and so then when you get like a message from your grandpa or something that says something annoying and I'm like oh that's such client vibes he's acting like a client <laughs> he's so annoying it's it's really weird when you realize that actually there's they, they are just people it's a bit surreal in a way because we are trained to believe that like there are these other people and they are um, like dark and sinister types who, or the other stereotype is that they are, um, you know, really poor hygiene and like disgusting mm-hmm. in, in quote marks. Um, and because they've had to pay for it, they're the type of like sex workers see men who no one else would ever want to be around but it's not like that you know sex workers have quite stringent policies about hygiene and safety so yeah yeah how would you feel if someone that you you found out that someone that you knew was a sex work client I mean you you mentioned I know know people who are sex worker clients Yeah, yeah and also like if you've ever been in the strip club then you're a sex worker client like yeah. do you know what I mean mm-hmm. like if you've ever watched porn do you know how like 99% of men watch porn so like all men are clients yeah <laughs> do you know what I mean and lots of women too and lots of women <laughs> were, you, were you gonna say something uh yeah about this um are your clients different people from the men you hang out in your everyday life I mean, paying a sex worker is not exactly cheap compared to the average income, I think. And especially compared to the average income of the men I hang out with for free. God, it sounds horrible. (laughs) All your poor male friends. (laughs) (laughs) The charity male friends. Um, So maybe that's also because my average um, is or my um, experience is just limited after um, just under a year of sex work. 
But I like to think that um, the people I've seen as clients are, they do come from all walks of life mm -hmm. and there's a big variety of people. And I would say these are people who are um, considered quote unquote normal, but I didn't have to deal, for example, with clients who considered themselves big feminists, which is a relief mm -hmm. that I didn't have to mm -hmm. fight that battle. Mm -hmm. um, and I would hope that I think most of my male friends um, have some solid feminist values to a certain extent mm -hmm. that I think would make it a bit difficult for them um, to pay a full service sex worker. But of course, watching porn, going, uh, at least being quote unquote dragged along to a strip club for a bachelor party has definitely happened mm. and mm. makes people sex work clients. I've, I've had discussions with people who didn't know that I did sex work um, at the time who said that they couldn't see a sex worker because they, I, I think they all say it's um, and um, they understand why people do it. They support decriminalization, but they say that they themselves wouldn't want to buy the time of a woman uh, for sex. They wouldn't want to buy sex mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, for feminist reasons because they only want to have sex um, for free. But yeah, as, as I'm saying it, I do realize. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because it kind of goes back to what, I mean, you've all said, which is this idea that like the sex that you have for free often involves work and that yeah. like men who think they're having sex with women who aren't sex workers often are having sex with women who are doing sex work, maybe not even mm. not even knowingly work that they wouldn't refer to as sex work. Also, like if you're a proper feminist, then you would want to pay a sex worker for sex or just to, <laughs> just to chat to you. Just yeah. for, you know, if they're that much a feminist, tell them to pay a sex worker to talk about feminism instead of... <laughs> or if you're that much of a feminist, then, I don't know, just pay a sex worker for nothing. Be, yeah, exactly. Be a pig. Yeah. But I guess this kind of goes back to a, a kind of question that often, like, bugs me, which is, like, if on the one hand sex work is, um, you know, regular kind of work, just like other kinds of work why do sex workers often share this kind of hatred of clients and and that kind of rallying against clients being something that really like unites sex workers and um makes makes people feel closer and it's kind of similar oh sorry to like when you work in a job and you hate your boss it's yeah. like it's people who are like within that your workplace who don't always treat you very well so that is kind of where it comes from. And people seem to normalize that. Like, that's okay to like be like, oh, I hate my boss. Mm -hmm. Do you Without, know what I mean? While still saying like, the work that I do is, you know, good, honest yeah, work. Exactly. Um, but I fucking hate my boss. Yeah. Because they, yeah, they occupy a different place. And like, we don't hate all clients. We just like, some of them just really take the piss and some of them don't treat you that well. Like, but there were some who I like spending time with and I'm yeah. like, yeah, you're great. And providing a service, which is um, a girlfriend experience, requires a lot of patience because they don't a realistic girlfriend would maybe be like oh fuck off you're annoying me but a girlfriend in in this kind of context is like oh how interesting you're wonderful you know you're paid in a way to validate and support them and 
uh, make them feel good. And it's a fantasy girlfriend. It's not a real girlfriend. Mm -hmm. So I think um, that's why it's cathartic to be like, afterwards, oh, he was so annoying. I cannot believe he said that. Because in the moment, the job is, whilst there's flexibility, you don't have to just enable everything. And if they say something really inappropriate, then you, you're well within your freedom to call them out on it. Um, but I find sometimes that, yeah, you do have to be careful how you say things. If you want return customers, if you want to keep their business, they need to leave feeling like they've had a really good time. Mm. So it is annoying it's just a vent yeah but yeah. it's not because I guess the thing that I'm trying to get at is like it's not because you think that people who buy sex are like particularly bad people like necessarily no. and you know there's nothing there's nothing bad about like being the kind of person that buys um ba buys sex it doesn't say something about you as a person or about you as a man I wanted to mention that I think the hatred of clients is um the hatred of the client in every service job it's just like when you do retail mm. when you um do customer service you I think you're always exhausted um if you have to be nice to people for money yeah that's a better analogy than what I said earlier with the boss thing because actually now I'm thinking about it when I used to work in a well-known tourist attraction that shall we name on <laughs> remain unnamed uh we used to be like we fucking hate tourists all the time. Why are they talking to me? Go away. Leave us alone. So it is a similar thing. I find that the kind of clients that I want to vent about the most and that um, are on the receiving end of the most vitriolic feedback from me personally are the feminist clients because uh -huh. they're there going, I want to make this good for you. Like, how, 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 what would you like to do? Like, I want to connect with you and I want to make you calm. And they don't actually want to make it good for you because if they did, then they'd understand that good for me would mean like let's um, part ways right now and I'll just take the money and go. Um, Has anyone ever done that? <laughs> Has anyone ever just been like, you know what, I, res I, I just want you to have a nice evening. Here's my money. Go home. No, everyone has always come in suspending their disbelief and wanting, uh, yeah, with a, a small amount of delusion around what good for me actually entails and... Do you think that's just like an extension of like a lot of people, men in particular, in sex, like suspending their disbelief about what they know is just not good for their partner? Um, as in, as in, like, do you think a lot of men convince themselves that she's loving this? Oh yeah, yeah. I think so, definitely. <laughs> you can see it because it's actually shameless how um, badly I fake an orgasm sometimes. Like I, <laughs> I will do like eighties porn style, like cooing and moaning just to entertain myself um and just to like out of pure curiosity like will they pick up on how fake this is and they'd never do they're like wow you had and they always say this one line um oh you had such fun maybe you should be paying me it's like yes. <laughs> if there was a client doll and you pull a string and it's back and it has a catchphrase that would be the catchphrase they'd be like oh maybe you should be paying me yeah. it's delusion is a big part of um, a big part of their I just think a lot of men are not very good at sex and they like haven't bothered to learn and like because when you have sex education at school it's all about how to not make a baby it's not like here's the clit this is what you do with it and then they watch porn which obviously is all performance as well and like maybe the many some of the men in porn are okay at sex but they're just doing it for the cameras and the camera angle so actually the female porn performer is not necessarily enjoying that so then they'd watch that and then they try and like 
stuff their fingers in you and twist them round and then do all this weird shit and you're like you just what the fuck are you doing but what you're saying kind of implies that if men were better educated about sex and women's pleasure and more attuned to um like i don't know women's psyches and thought about what women felt and thought that they maybe would just pay you to go home if they were more empathetic with women's experience sexually generally that in a way like men wouldn't be paying women to have sex with them so is there a bit of a I mean, I guess this is a question about like, would sex work exist maybe were they, feminism to achieve its goals? Or maybe they'd just be better at it when they did pay us. And I think as well, they'd just understand that it's not about, um, it's not about our pleasure. We're providing a service. Mm. And I don't, just like a therapist doesn't want to talk to you about their feelings. I don't want to um, reveal what actually turns me on. I'm there for their sexual gratification. That's what I'm getting paid for. And that is um, what I like about what I do, the satisfaction of providing a good service and knowing I do it well and um, them leaving feeling like um, they had an itch and it was scratched very mm. effectively rather than, you know, make, I actually had a girlfriend and is now going to text me between bookings and, and blur the lines completely. I, I think the best clients understand that it's a job and that I'm at work and therefore I'm pretending, but they don't mind because... They just have a physical need. It's straightforward that way. Mm -hmm. I find it super difficult, this question, would sex work exist in the feminist utopia? Because that's what, that was one of the first things I learned from talking to other more experienced, more radicalized sex workers. Um, is Was there clear hatred of clients and of men who pay for sex? And because I was a bit ambiguous about this, I was like... Of course, I, I don't feel sh shame for selling sex. Uh, and I don't really know how to evaluate the people who pay me for sex. Um, I took this on an individual basis, but I didn't have a solid and probably still don't have a solid political answer as to how I feel about men paying for sex. Um, and I've met some really smart intelligent sex workers who are very cool who say selling it is cool that's what we have to do but the men paying for it are utter trash mm -hmm. not only by how they are but and who they are but by this act of paying for sex mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah that seems like it's kind of difficult to square I mean from what you were saying Bella it seems like there is an ideal world of um, sex work and there are good clients and they're the ones that kind of recognize that you're doing a job and that you're and that, that take the service rather than like um kind of entertain the fantasy of you know your enjoyment and so maybe maybe that's maybe that's kind of what you're getting at Anna that like um most of the men who pay for sex are basically deluded and kind of in sort of uh exemplifying patriarchy or misogyny um but that it doesn't have to be that way and there could be a world in which we just are like sex is a need i need someone to fulfill it um you were talking about april like i think that's quite a good example of maybe a more utopian uh feminist kind of model of sex work which is like someone has a need he needs it fulfilled someone wants to fulfill it and and if you were to pay your friend to have sex with your uh partner it would be 
quite different, I imagine, from a lot of the like clients that, you know, some of the bad clients that you've talked about. He'd be like, great, okay, I know what you're here for. Thanks very much. Wham, bam, yeah. thank you, ma'am. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it does feel like there are more ways to be a sex worker now. And you often hear sex workers saying that like, oh, it feels like everyone's becoming a sex worker. Is that what you feel? And I sort of wonder whether you, how you see kind of um, the prospect of the industry growing um, and whether there's like a danger in people like joining who who don't really understand like what sex work involves and maybe have been um, given a bit of a simplified or idealistic impression of the industry um, and, and, and kind of have been facilitated into you know, becoming sex workers um, w- without really understanding what what that means. So, yeah. So, like, when, like, lots of influencers join OnlyFans and then they kind of profit from, like, the sexualization of themselves and their body, but then they maybe don't do any activism to support sex workers or don't speak out about sex worker rights, that can be a bit annoying um if they've got that huge platform and then they're making lots of money from that like that um when bella thorne dropped made an only fans and then she put pictures of herself in her underwear and then she lied to her fans she said she was going to sell them fully nude pics then they paid 200 dollars, and then she just sent them a pic of her in her underwear and then because she did that only fans were like oh right we're gonna change the amount of money you can receive like the maximum tip amount you can receive and stuff like that so like she and she really didn't take responsibility for how she impacted sex workers due to that decision and she should really be using her platform to not be a dick and not do things like that Mm. so yeah I do think there were some people who see it as like oh just try it out oh a bit of like sex tourism kind of thing like sex yeah yeah, like is that is that a thing sex tourism the sex work a tourist in our sex work Okay. Yeah. Are they, are they primarily like people like celebrities and influencers who like occasionally post like nude pics? Or I like, guess. But yeah. like, it's totally fine if you want to do that as long as, yeah, as long as you understand like the stigma that goes with it and the fact that a lot of people have much more stigma than you do because you, they don't have that large following or they don't have, they don't have to, they might have to like show more to earn the same amount of money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that like, also, you can kind of further stigmatize sex work accidentally. Like, I guess Bella Thorne kind of did by being like, I'm going to share a nude pic. Oh, no, wait, that's like bad. So I won't do that. Yeah, exactly. If she just shared the nude pic, it would have been <laughs> fine. Yeah. The fact that she then was like, oh, actually, I would never do that. Yeah, actually made it worse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the kind of sex tourism by people of doing tourist trips into the into the sex industry and into the cultural repertoire of the sex industry that I'm worried about is like I think similar to what you mentioned um, is when mainstream pop stars um, and influencers are using for example stripper uh, outfits and shoes and aesthetics um, or for example pole dance in their videos um, and make money and gain following from quoting a culture of oppressed people that is effectively not theirs but then they go back to their very stable posh lives that makes me mad sometimes yeah it's a form of cultural appropriation Yeah. yeah and like you feel like people like that maybe have a responsibility if they are going to incorporate sex work in their you know for example if they're pole dancing that is i guess a form of sex work in their um in their videos, for example, 
that they need to back that up somehow with kind of um, explicit support for like sex work and kind of a recognition of the um, of, of what they're doing. Yeah, I think the uh, the thing is, is like sometimes there's no way to know whether these pop stars or whatever sounds so old saying pop stars. <laughs> have done done sex work or not because there's so much stigma about doing sex work they might have been sex workers and not want to talk about it because they think that they will get so much like stigma from the media so like fka twigs had like i think she had like a cam performer or pole dance or something in her video and then she was kind of forced to come out and say no actually i did i did used to be a stripper or hostess which i don't know it's like a euphemism she did work in this in the sex industry but she had to do that because people gave her so much shit about having this aesthetic in her videos so it's really difficult sometimes to know whether you're attacking the right people or not and like it might just be that they don't want to tell people because of how they think people are going to react so it's kind of like a catch-22 situation and the other thing is i think people say um you know that celebrities coming out as ex-sex workers is usually the line um contributes to the normalization of sex work which i think in itself is um not necessarily productive to normalize sex work because i think um that then you have the danger of glossing over um and homogenizing all of the imbalances and nuances within sex work itself and just saying like oh you know it's acceptable um it's normal because we're just like you but actually um I think a lot of people find that sex work isn't this term that fits everyone it's not a one-size-fits-all job title And people have such radically different working conditions and experiences of sex work that contributing to this normal idea of sex work is um, removing an awareness of the fact that um, there's imbalances. Um, Like, I I, I really want to quote from this article because someone in our collective um, uh, shared it and uh, it's by someone called Pluma Sumac um, and it's called A Disgrace Reserved for Prostitutes. And she writes in it, um, I want it to be clear that the weight of that stigma, oppression and violence in prostitution gets heavier the darker your skin, the less heteronormative you are, the less educated you are and the less value society places on how you are being compensated. I want society to acknowledge a complete picture as complex as a collage of class, race, gender and acts of sex. Um, So I think normalising sex work kind of just takes us from one extreme like the oppressed um victim in need of rescue to this other extreme and makes it binary um and we shouldn't we shouldn't really see it as much more than just a logical way for people to access money Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's interesting though because i mean just from my impression like you know um, I just wanted to briefly touch on like sex work activism in the UK and like Swarm and um, the various kind of collectives that exist. And I wonder whether that's like a um, an internal challenge facing the sex worker movement is the difficulty of engaging that breadth of kind of sex workers and that like it's easier. I think, you know, participating in activist work is easier Um the whiter your skin, the 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 certain kind of sex work that you do, et cetera, et cetera. And I 
I just wonder whether that's a challenge for the movement itself to like bring along people who are more marginalized within the industry. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think sometimes, yeah, people don't get involved in activism and don't get involved in like sex worker events and performing because of like the fact that they can't be as out as other people and that there were more repercussions for certain groups of people. So, um, yeah, it is difficult and I don't know what we can do about that until all the stigma of sex work is gone. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cuz it's still it's still difficult being an activist generally like it's really taxing and it's a lot of energy. So it's like you got to be a sex worker and do activism about it now as well. It's like it's a lot, but I don't I don't want to not do that activism. It's just sometimes I don't have the energy for it and I get why Look, some people don't have the energy for it because like really other people should be doing this shit like yeah people who like post about other activist causes why are you not educating your friends or like doing stuff about sex worker rights like why i don't know mm-hmm. i don't see as many people who want to support sex workers as they do other movements yeah I think that's why we need more than normalization. Yeah. Like we need these celebrities instead of just being like, yeah, I did it to actually refer their following to like resources and create an understanding of sex worker, not just as one thing, but as a huge community with like loads of different people within it um, and be able to uh, direct people to other sources of information as well. Yeah, it's great that Cardi B wants to tell us about her wet ass pussy, but like, I don't know, maybe <laughs> tell the world that sex workers need rights as well. Like, yeah, because she's a former stripper. Yeah. And so she doesn't yeah. talk a huge amount. I mean, she was in like hustlers and yeah. I'm sure she has talked about it. I'm just not aware, but she doesn't seem it's to. It's more really... like the kind of glamorization of it than the yeah. kind of like activism. I don't know. I would appreciate also some more talk about the dry legal and economic stuff mm. and yeah legal and political economy stuff um to uh, complement the wet ass pussy that would yeah. be nice yeah. <laughs> when you said dry i thought you were gonna say dry ass and talk pussy. about dry ass pussy. I, was, I, I was working up there to a pie <laughs> i have a poem about my dry ass pussy bring, bring some lube and, and some patience for this dry ass pussy <laughs> Um, <laughs> the thing I was going to say, what we're we talking about, Cardi B. Can activism. I just say something about, about about time and activism? Like, um, I think by definition, um, I went into sex work because I needed um, a quick way of making a living so that I would still have time for other really important stuff. Um, and I think that's the case for a lot of sex workers. So the group of people who can speak for sex workers and who have the time to do that is quite small. Yeah. No, the thing I was going to say was that, like, it feels very socially acceptable to say, oh, I used to be a sex worker and now I've written a book about it. But, like, saying that you're still a current sex worker, if some of these celebrities said that they were still sex workers, I don't know, like, I feel like it wouldn't be as much support. And there should be, obviously. I mean, that has happened, obviously, like, you know, or like... Well, this woman was sacked from Hollyoaks because she had an OnlyFans and she didn't want to take it down. So like it's why is it okay to be like oh well, I used to do this, but not like I'm still doing this. Yeah, or as we said earlier, like I'm still doing this in my work on Hollyoaks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 
So they want to sexualize her character probably, but then not let her profit off it herself. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, they're paying her to be yeah. sexualized on Hollyoaks, but not to like post, you know, yeah. new pics or whatever. Because obviously Navarro's audience are people who are broadly, you know, on the left. Um, although I'm sure there are lots of hate listeners. Um, <laughs> I sort of wonder whether there's things that you'd like to say to them about how um, the left kind of maybe gets it wrong sometimes in its attempt to like support sex workers and ends up sort of like not really supporting them. And as you say, like pushes for things like normalization or um, things that sex workers don't really want. <laughs> and it's like, thanks, but no thanks. Maybe give us this instead. Like, don't give us your this give us your that don't give us your you know likes on twitter give us your like time <clears throat> uh by our zine <laughs> we actually wrote uh, a zine as a collective called how to talk to sex workers um and it has nine pieces in it each one's written about a different kind of relationship dynamic so there's something about being an ally there's something about being a friend um being a romantic partner dating a sex worker being a family member of a sex worker and it's all just based on lived experience and um people's struggle and tension um but also like the love and the harmony that come out of these relationships um so i think that would be um probably the the most productive thing you can do because not only would you be paying for sex worker art but you'd also be learning about how sex workers real sex workers want to be treated by the people around them um and you'd be listening to that which i think is much better than kind of coming in with a performative allyship and saying like oh i i believe for th- I, I believe in decrim and you know it's, it's great to hear but sometimes it's doesn't really do much and also like maybe talk to your friends and explain to them why we want decrim and why we want more rights like yeah there just seems to be a massive divide in like like so for example in labor there's like mps who really want the nordic model which is disgraceful and then there were like there's like labor for decrim like people and then there's like lynn brown and someone else who like really support sex workers so like sort your shit out like like the people who because they won't listen to us like people who are swerfs do not want to listen to us they will like block us on twitter they won't reply to our well-written arguments they don't want to engage with us they don't treat us like people so if you're friends with someone who you know has got those views but but maybe you're not a sex worker so you can express your views in a more i don't know like in real life in a conversation because these people who who think like that don't want to talk to us and they don't want to listen to our side of the story so how can we get through to them when they won't even listen to us yeah Yeah, it's a massive irony isn't it like Sarah Champion literally wrote a letter and it's almost like a Trojan horse she wrote and it sounded so great at first she was like oh um you know uh, sex workers need support during the pandemic and then at the end it's like However, we want to strongly say that we we um, are against decriminalisation and certain lobby groups are taking the pandemic as an excuse to ask for it. And it's like, by certain lobby groups, what you mean are sex workers? And you've written a letter about helping sex workers with a little fi- f- ending saying, by the way, don't listen to them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Help them, but not in the way that they want to be helped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can strongly second what both of you said before me. Um, and just add that um, listening to sex workers and their organizations is important. Mm. And I know there are lots of um, 
sex work sex workers and former sex workers out there who have uh, platforms where they demonize sex work and i think um if you're new to this topic it's probably difficult to differentiate who's um a voice um you want to give your time to and who isn't um and i think usually the less scandalizing the more um helpful i personally think this source is um and asking yourself the question how is this position or this activism making things materially better for sex workers tomorrow mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. than if we ban sex work will i don't know all sex workers then become millionaires no they won't um <laughs> yeah like Men maybe will still one be day. Yeah. yeah if we stop selling sex patriarchy will still exist so yeah i think the thing is is like even if you don't agree with sex work or it makes you uncomfortable you have to admit that like surely it's better to make it safer and to make it less stigmatized because if you really care about sex workers then you need to concede that that's the better option mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i think that's just such a like beautifully simple way of putting it is this going to make sex workers lives better tomorrow rather than some like fantasy future um and also gives a really nice concrete way that people who aren't sex workers can help sex workers without feeling guilty about it if you know that someone's not going to listen to the appeals of a of a sex worker or a collective then just do it yourself and don't feel bad about it yeah It's been so great to chat to you and thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> fun. If you've made it this far, thanks for listening. As I said at the top of the show, this episode is part of Doing It Right Sex on the Left, a multimedia exploration of the pains and pleasures of sex by Navarra Media. Check out the rest of the series at navara.media forward slash sex.